to the Spirit of West Texas podcast, where we are having real conversations with people who live and work in West Texas. Our guests this season will tell us about their big dreams. They'll share about their challenges and successes that they've had along their journey. Listen in and we hope you'll learn something and maybe even have some fun with us along the way. Well, hello, Amy. Hello, Jared. Do you want to try something? Do you want to try something different? Yeah. Yesterday, you were giving me a hard time because you were saying the same thing. Well, over if I, say, I can't say good morning because it's not morning. morning right good now. Good afternoon. This is kind of in uh, the famous Thirsty Thursday hours that it, we It is. It's, we're approaching it quickly, aren't we? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's getting there. So this is our first episode for season two. We are now in, you want to describe the studio atmosphere yeah. that we have right now? No, it's now? awesome, isn't it? This is something else. We've got neon lights. We've got... Yes, uh, we have an audience. Audience. Yay! Yeah, so for our listeners, we, in season one, we were in literally on a cardboard table <laughs> with <laughs> yeah. microphones in like a room that wasn't being used. And so we've got a little bit of an upgrade. This and is so an this upgrade. This is great. It's, we've it's got awesome. a really cool lineup for this season mm-hmm. that I'm excited for Me everybody too. to kind of listen in and, and hear about. But our first episode for this season mm-hmm. is someone near and dear to both of us. Do you want to introduce our guest today? Yes, I am excited to introduce our first guest, Jared. We thought there would be no better way of commemorating our 115th anniversary than by interviewing our fearless leader, CEO, Mark Bain of First United Bank. Mark Bain's been in the podcast studio a lot. He paid for the podcast studio, in fact. (laughs) So we felt it only fitting that we invite him in. Um, In all seriousness, Mark has been, um, he serves as CEO um, of First United Bank. He's been with First United Bank for 32 years. This is a family-owned and family-run business, and it still feels like that. Um, For those of us who work here, uh, First United Bank is... um, a large community bank, in fact, getting to be even larger by the minute, it seems like. But we've recently surpassed $2 in assets, and we proudly employ more than 250 stars, and it's truly an honor to be one of them. Um, We currently operate 17 banking centers in 13 communities. Um, It is really an honor and a privilege to be able to visit with my very dear friend and mentor, Mark Bain. Hey, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> We're glad to have you. He didn't get the fanfare, I feel like, that everybody else has had. So, welcome to the podcast studio, Mark Bain. <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark. Mark, 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 Should Mark, I give Mark, out my Mark. greatest Ric Flair at this point? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, you might. So, um, interestingly, Jared, you don't know this, but in our new star orientation training, which is like training for all of our new employees um, when they first come to the bank, we play this really terrible game that everybody hates called Two Truths and a Lie. So we're going to start mm. this episode of the Spirit of West Texas podcast by playing Two Truths and a Lie, but you're actually going to play, Jared. Oh, so no. <laughs> I'm going to give you three statements about Mark Bain, and you have to pick which one is the lie. Okay. Two Truths and a Lie. Okay, ready? Okay. okay. Number one, Mark once met Wayne Newton at Nicholas Cage's house. Are we going one by one? Yes. That can't be true, can it? I don't know. That's up for you to decide. Can I I give an answer after all three are revealed? Yes, yes, yes. Hold your, wait until the end. Okay. While in college at Texas Tech, Mark opened the first comedy club in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, He's not that funny, so that couldn't be true. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard some humorous jokes from Mark. Uh, I don't know about comedy club level, but um, Okay. 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 
Mark once had his pilot's license and could fly. Uh, I can, I can kind of see that about Mark. Yeah. So two truths and one lie. He one of these is a lie. Now. They wouldn't let him have his pilot's license. <laughs> two truths and a lie. Which one? Uh, okay. So I would guess, uh, on a whim, I'm going to say that the lie here is the Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton. Mark? That'd be correct. No, I mean, that'd be, no, that is true. That's that a, a true story. That's so a true story. The joke is actually on you because oh he's gosh. so, you think, you think I'm a Mark Bain, a banker, how boring is this interview can be? But he's actually one of the most interesting guys and all of these things are true. Every one of them? Every single one no of them. Way. <laughs> no way. No way that's all true. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about your comedy club in Love Oh my gosh. Um, the comedy club opened it up November the 1st, 1984 with a very, very dear friend of mine. It's actually his idea. He was a rim major at Tech and he went to New York Went up there on a school-sponsored trip, came back, and he says, hey, we got to open up a comedy club. And I said, what in the world is a comedy club? I had no idea what it was. And uh, I think most of you that know me know that I'm old enough that back in my day, we uh, we didn't have a remote control on our TV, and we had like six channels, right? So, I mean, literally, you know, today, you can flip through the channels, and you can find comedy on about, you know, 10 stations. But uh, back in those days, there was no such thing as comedy on on uh, on TV. And so he went up there and he said, literally, there's a line of comics out one door and a, a line of people uh, waiting to get in out of another. And so it was all his idea. He brought me in because I was kind of a nerdy accountant student and, and worked at a bank that at that time. And so uh, we took an old um, building down on 19th Street and completely remodeled it, hired uh, what uh, was a guy uh, named Jeff Schilling out of Houston, Texas, to come up and remodel our our facility. And uh, we had this comedy club. And I tell you, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And uh, I'm thankful to Todd for uh, for bringing me into that loop. But uh, we did that for several years and it was a lot of fun. So what did you learn from that? Oh, my gosh, I learned a lot from that. Um, you know, I think the the it was so far out of side of my comfort zone from the, uh, the whole standpoint of, uh, um, you know, all of a sudden I'm, uh, you know, 21, 22 years old and I've got employees and, and that type of thing. And, and, uh, back in those days, if you think I'm driven now, back in, when I was 22, I was really driven and, uh, I was, I was, you know, just, uh, I just really wanted to make it a success. And so, uh, I, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, uh, finance and learned a lot about entertainment, uh, I learned a lot uh, from Todd about just, uh, you know, just how to have fun and that type of thing. So so before your comedy club days, you were born in Plainview, is that I was correct? Born in Plainview. Plainview, Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, but you really grew up in Perryton. Grew Spent up in the Perryton, majority. Texas. I mean, that's where mm-hmm. you graced the stage as the scarecrow <laughs> and, <laughs> and the Wizard of Oz. Um, I know your parents, Ray and Barbara, had a lot of influence on you, um, especially with regard to your work ethic. So tell us about your first job. Oh, gosh. My first job was mm, probably the janitor of the bank at uh, the bank that my dad worked at uh, in Perryton. And I can that was probably my first job that I was getting a paycheck. Uh, I started mowing lawns even before that, and I always had a job. I never didn't have a job from the time I was 12 years old and until, you know, all the way through college even. So speaking of college, you, we joke all the time that you're the minister of culture 
We're the Matthew McConaughey of Texas Tech University. Because <laughs> you just love Texas Tech so much. So you moved to Lubbock to come to school. Um, I know that you've lived other places, Mark, but you love Lubbock. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody that really that is a better advocate for Lubbock than you. So what is it that you've loved so much about Lubbock, even even back to when you were in school here as a student? Well, I mean, Lubbock's the, the greatest city on the planet Earth. I mean, I just, I absolutely love it here. Uh, there's a lot of things in my life I would give up, but Lubbock and West Texas are not one of them. Um, I just, uh, I love the people here. Uh, I love Texas Tech, so it's obviously here. And so it's, it's just, um, I'm living in utopia, really. Great place to raise a family. Yeah, it is. It's just a, it's just a great community. It is a great community. It's been good to the bank, too. Um, you grew up the son of a banker, um, (laughs) (laughs) the son of a banker, man, (laughs) to cut that out. (laughs) That is definitely staying in. (laughs) So, um, Ray had worked for several banks before he came to First United Bank and and actually became president of the First State Bank of Dimmitt in 1985. How old were you when that happened? I was in college. I was, uh, 1985. I was four years out of high school. Uh, and, um, it was an interesting story how that went down because my dad and mother had waited until I graduated from high school before they wanted to make a move. My dad needed to make a move from a career standpoint, but he didn't want to move from Perryton while I was in high school. So he waited until the summer after I graduated. And then he and my, my family moved to Deming, New Mexico. So my brother was just about to enter as a freshman in high school. So it was a perfect year for them to move. So. I, uh, I actually got a job at a bank here in Lubbock. Um, it was the it was called Security National Bank, which was the predecessor of what is now another bank here in town. And uh, I worked at that bank, and on April the thirteenth, nineteen eighty four, it failed, and so I I literally got to watch a bank. Uh, you know, close and, and uh, FDIC come in and shut the doors. And that was quite a traumatic experience. But uh, uh, the gentleman that owned the bank in Demet bought that bank at that time. Uh, it was it was and he renamed it Citibank at that time as a guy by the name of Bill Lloyd. And uh, so I was working for Bill there at the bank. And uh, and I went into his office one day and I said, Bill, my dad's out in, in Deming, New Mexico, and he sure would like to get back to uh, West Texas. And he said, well, have him contact me. So my dad contacted Bill. He hired him. And so my dad went to work for Bill in, in Demet, and I was working for Bill in Lubbock. And then about a year later, Bill said, Ray, I'm going to sell the bank. And and so my dad put a group together and bought the bank and uh, the, the rest, rest is, is history. history. Mm-hmm. So you grew up around banking your whole life. Did whole you life. always want to be a banker? Was I that did. your big dream? It, you did. it was. It was It was always what I wanted to do. And and uh, I'd seen my dad do it. And he had told me many stories through the years about, you know, people that he had helped uh, that needed help. And, and, uh, and then I could see how successful those people had become. And it just always made me feel really good. And it's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So working for other banks before you came to this one, Mark, and I know you worked in Austin for a while too. What did you take from other banks that you learned that you brought well, with you Well, I, I think what I learned uh, the most was when I graduated from school, I went, I moved down to Austin. And, you know, at that point in time in your life, you think that uh, you got to get out of West Texas, right? That's what you think. And so I moved down to Austin and went to work for a very large bank down there. It was a formal training program. And uh, I spent two years in that training program. And then I moved out onto a commercial lending desk. But it was right during the period of time where almost every bank in Central Texas failed during that, that four-year period of time. And so I, w- I just got to see the worst of the banking uh, 
uh, industry. And so I knew that I didn't really want to stay around Austin. Everybody around me was losing their job. And so I thought, you know, I, I, my dad's got this little gig going back in Demet, Texas, and he needs help. And he tells me he needs help. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and help him for a while, wait for the economy to turn. And then I'm going to turn around and go to Dallas. And and uh, I got back and, and I just absolutely fell in love with community banking. And uh, I never wanted to leave it. So I know you've worked closely alongside your dad and your brother and other bank leaders to build the bank to what it is today. I'm just, I'm curious. I remember when I first started um, and you drove me to, you know, lots of different bank branches. Um, and in every single one of those communities, you could tell me all about the branch and the ins and outs of the branch and the community that we were in because you've lived in a lot of those communities. I'm specifically thinking about Seagraves. <laughs> um, is there a branch opening or acquisition that stands out to you as being most special when you think back over the last few years or in your time here? It's it's interesting that you bring up Seagraves. That, that was always the one that uh, that I can still remember. I mean, the people that were involved and, and the day-to-day activities, because my first day on the job actually was July 15, 1990. And uh, I showed up to work in... Um, got in the car with my dad and we drove to Seagraves, Texas. And that was the first first day that we were doing due diligence at that bank. So I got to be involved in all that. And then I actually moved down there for a period of time, lived in a, uh, just a commercial building down there. Um, but, uh, and so I learned quite a bit through that experience. I think the, the, best experience that I had was, uh, about three years later when we bought the bank here in, um, uh, Lubbock. And then I moved to Lubbock and that's really where I wanted to be. So one of the, I guess, mantras that I've heard you say so many times over the years is work hard, play hard, but always play to win. So we all see you here pretty much every day, first one here, last one to leave. Um, How is that? How does that play out for you? How's that played out for you? First of all, I know the the second part of that, the the play hard, um, you know, I think you can look at me and see my gray hair and this beer gut and, <laughs> and uh, these bags under my eyes and know that I've got that part of it down pretty well. The, uh, I'm, I can play pretty hard, um, but I, I do pride myself in, in working hard. And, and uh, I think, um, you know, it's just what I've always done. Um, my dad dropped me off at the golf course when I was 12 years old, and he said, son, go in there and get a job. And I didn't know it at the time, but my dad had already arranged for the job with the golf pro that he was going to hire me. And so the guy hired me and he said, I'll pay you a buck 50 an hour. And, or he said, I'll pay you $3 an hour. I didn't know that my dad was subsidizing a buck 50 an hour. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, I got the job at the golf course and I mean, I swept the cart barn, I filled the Coke machine, I cleaned the toilets. Uh, you know, I did some menial things around the shop, but uh, I thought I was the assistant golf pro. So it was a great job. <laughs> so speaking of hard work, when I say to you, 254 million, 9,038, 31,000, what do you think? Oh my gosh. 31,000, 254 million. Yeah. Let me put it this way. 254 million, 9,038 loans, 31,000 jobs. Oh, PPP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell no, us about no that. Doubt. Tell us about that. Well, the PPP program, uh, I'm, I don't know the, st- the entire statistics, but I know that uh, this bank did just a tremendous amount of them. And, uh, you know, really it was a, a, transform- a transformative event for us because, um, and probably for a lot of banks, but, uh, you know, we showed up that morning and uh, we're 
getting the instructions from the government on how we were going to do this. And the instructions were coming in faster than what we could read them. And we didn't have a, an automated pro, uh, platform to do it. And we were trying to write our own uh, way of doing it. And, and our customers were in very uh, need of help, immediate help. And, uh, and we just rolled up our sleeves and we worked literally around the clock for several months and, uh, and rolled out that round one of PPP. And, uh, um, you, you gave the statistics. I mean, it's quite a number of jobs and loans. I mean, $254 million in loans and, a uh, a pretty, you know, uh, that was round one and round two, but it was within about a year's time. So it was, you know, that's, that's several years worth of activity, uh, all stretched into a very short time frame. How proud are you of our organization? Oh, I'm I'm so uh, incredibly proud of our team and and the team that came together and did that. It, it it's not just your loan officers that do that. I mean, it is every single person on the lending uh, side. It's a a lot of people on the operational side. I mean, it was people just. They, they just put everything on hold. And, you know, they had issues of their, that they were dealing with it at their own um, households. I mean, we had a lot of moms that were uh, having to homeschool their children at the same time that they're putting in, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks. And so it was just uh, it was really just a, a, an eye opening experience and something that I'll never forget. And I'll always be proud of the, the team that we uh, that we had that uh, did all that. How did you keep everybody motivated and yourself? You know, I think that the thing that we did a pretty good job of is just is just go around and rah rah a lot uh, and just tell them that we appreciated them. I know that the the ladies that in loan ops that were working all all through the night and and uh, crazy hours and know they were being fed um, by uh, others in the organization and and just uh, just continually telling people how much we appreciated them and and it they were doing a good thing, uh, by our customers and by our communities. And, and, um, you know, we, um, we just pull all pulled together and pulled it off. So the bank has a set of founding principles that serve as a foundation for the way we do business. And one of those, and I think probably the most, (sighs) the one that we lead with, I would say is generosity. So you personally have given countless dollars and hours to various organizations and nonprofits in and around Lubbock. And then you've even served at the state level as a director for the March of Dimes. Why has it been so important for you to be generous personally and as well um, to lead our organization in that way? Well, you know, my dad used to say that there's there's three things that are important in every community, and that's uh, a good uh, good churches, a good school system and a good financial institution. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always felt like the financial institution, the third leg of that stool, that uh, they played a, a critical role in uh, being the, uh, the, the leader in the community and, uh, and making sure that the nonprofits were doing well and the, the civic organizations uh, were doing well. And then everybody in the bank was out, you know, getting involved in the community and, and uh, um, uh, you know, volunteering uh, their services. And so the generous part just just became easy because it was really the the really the core uh, principle that that my mother and dad have practiced forever. Uh, growing up, growing up as a kid, I mean, we we were dirt poor. I mean, we really were. Um, and you know, at the time I didn't know that, um, I, uh, I, it was only in later on in life when, when I, my dad and I were talking one day and he said, um, 
He said, son, when you graduated from high school, I was making $36,000 a year, had two kids in college and another one coming up. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I mean, how did you do it? And I just remember that he worked so hard and never really had any money. But then later on in life, when he started to build a little wealth for himself, the very first thing that I witnessed him do is uh, start to give away that wealth. And uh, I mean, he became a big contributor uh, to a number of, of um, organizations, but primarily to uh, West Texas A&M University up in Canyon. And he and my mother both, they, uh, my mother graduated from there with a teacher's degree. My dad never did graduate from there. But interesting enough, both of them have honorary doctorates from from WT. That's so cool. And um, and uh, it thought I thought that was really great. But the but the very first thing that he did when he when he finally made a little bit of money and had a little bit of money in the bank was he immediately started giving it away. And so that taught me a lot about you know the whole principle of generosity. And he carried that out through the bank as well. So if you wouldn't have gone into banking and followed in your dad's footsteps, what would you have done? I would have probably been a uh, country and Western star. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> well, you're talking about a guy that uh, at his 10 month um, um, guitar recital played Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. So okay. there was actually no chance that I was ever going to be a country and Western star. But I always thought if I could just get somebody to play the guitar behind me, I could sing. <laughs> so if you if we took you to a karaoke bar right now, what would be the song you would sing? Oh, Neon Moon by Brooks and Dunn. <laughs> That's a great choice. That's my favorite song. <laughs> well, it's definitely up there. Have a few bars for us. Oh, no. We're not, no, we're not going there. I say Do we it. save it for the karaoke bar. No. <laughs> immediate road trip. <laughs> so would you change anything then about the path that you took? You know, I don't think I would. Uh, it's... Um, I'd probably do things a little bit differently along the way. I'd probably be a little smarter um, uh, about the way I did things early on in my career. But, uh, um, you know, I'm glad about the way it's all ended up. And, and uh, you know, it's it's been interesting. Uh, I, when I got out of college, I was so driven. I wanted to be successful. And I can remember I'd go home from the bank and my, all my roommates would be there and they'd be all in the, in our house that we rented together and they'd be all partying. They'd have girls over and they'd be doing all kinds of good stuff. And I'd walk in. First thing I'd do is put on my pajamas and they call me, they call me people, but I hope that doesn't stick. I hope they don't get that uh, nickname back. But y'all, uh, did y'all hear that? <laughs> Um, but, uh, I mean, I would just, I mean, then I got up early and went back and did it again the next day. And I just always did that even before I was working, you know, for first United bank and, and, uh, it's just something that I've always really enjoyed doing. So no, I don't, I don't think I'd do it over again. I think that I would probably, um, uh, I could probably use a little bit more work life balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I, you know, if I was really telling you the truth. So you've got two boys. Yes. Both of them at Oklahoma State University. Yes. And you want them to follow in your footsteps or would you be okay if they took took their own path? You know, I'd, I'd be okay if they took their own path. Um, I know that uh, I've had that conversation with them and I've told them, you know, hey, 
the world is your oyster. Go do with it what you want to do and, and make your own path. If, uh, if you decide that you want to follow in my footsteps, then I'm all for that too. And uh, I'll provide the avenue for you to do that. But I can tell you, it's not easy. And, uh, you know, when I got into this business with my dad back in 1990, uh, we were about a $70, $75 million bank in, in two locations. And uh, it was it just really wasn't that tough. I mean, wrap your arms around, you know, 20, two employees and you, you know, you, there just weren't that many issues. And, uh, and now being the size that we are now closing in on 2.1 billion, like you said, 250 stars. And I mean, there's, there's headaches and there's fires every single day. Uh, I think there is with any good size organization. Um, so it's not easy and, uh, and they wouldn't be coming in to the, the profession, uh, at a very high level. They'd be coming in at the bottom. So I've told them that and I said, you know, if you want to do it, it's a great profession. Um, but uh, really, I, I really want the decision to be theirs. Well, luckily, they've already had their turn cleaning the ATM drive through lanes with the power <laughs> washer. So they got that under their I'm belt. pretty sure not they do not want there. that as their job. <laughs> I've given them all the rotten jobs. And so they're really not thinking banking such a great place. Yeah. <laughs> so your dad, Ray, passed away in 2013. And I know that the two of you were extremely close. I'm wondering so much of what we do and um, in terms of the brand and the way that we position the bank and has been based on, you know, things that Ray has said and things that, that he believed. But has there been a point in time where his vision for the bank has taken a back seat and where it's now become your vision for the bank entirely or are they one in the same? Well, you know, I think they're probably one and the same. I, I don't think that, um, that, you know, when my dad passed in 2013, um, we had grown a considerable amount um, while he was still alive. Uh, I don't think that he would um, see where we are today and even have dreamt that we could have gotten to be this big and this successful. And uh, I think he'd be very proud uh, of that. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, um, it's... When you when you take the foundation that he set and the principles that he gave us and the core values that he gave us and you just live them out every day, I mean, you wake up one day and, and you have built something. And so everything that's that we have, I mean, yes, I've had a, a hand in it, but it's only because his hand guided me in that, in, in that direction, my brother's hand in that direction to, uh, you know, to lead our organization down the path that we have. And so I'm not sure I would have ever been smart enough or, uh, anything else to do it if I hadn't, you know, constantly, you know, had his influence in my life. And I mean, there's still to this day, I say, what would Ray do? And, uh, and I, uh, I, I lean on that all the time. So I know that your dad obviously shaped a lot of who you are and, and, you know, kind of, you found your path through Ray, but, um, do you think if things wouldn't have been the way they were, would you be where you are today? No, I don't. Um, I, I do think I would have been successful because I am a believer that if you work hard and continually chase your dreams, that you'll get where you want to be. And, uh, and I know that I've always been, uh, disciplined enough and hardworking enough that I would have, I would have reached some plateau and, and, and I would have, have been successful. I don't know that I would have ever been, um, the CEO of a $2 billion bank, uh, that was, that we built 
uh, this that that the people in this organization built because I just don't know that I would have ever been able to take the risk that my dad took um, back in 1987 when he put that bank group together to buy the bank. I mean, they they leveraged everything they had. They literally begged, borrowed, and stole everything that they could to put this uh, group together. And and uh, he had um, some really great investors. He had uh, uh, Shirley Garrison, who is a, a very well-respected man in in, uh, in his own rights. Um, and uh, and then, of course, our director emeritus, Stanley Schaefer, who's still with us and still sits on the board and just uh, probably the, uh, uh, the one of the most uh, solid uh, and, and gentlemen I've ever uh, been around and a tremendous businessman, um, even a better person. And, uh, you know, just now a, a, a philanthropist, but, but Stanley was with my dad and, and Stanley was, was really the guy that helped my dad put the original ownership group together. But, uh, but like I said, they, they leveraged everything they had and, um, they, uh, they bought this little country bank in Demet, Texas that was not making money. And, uh, in the economic times right there at the end of the 80s, uh, I think 1989 was the number one bank failure uh, year of there are more bank failures in 1989 than in any other year in our history. And here they go out and buy a bank. Uh, and that year they bought the uh, in 1989, they actually uh, uh, bought the uh, failed bank um, Earth from the FDIC. And so, I mean, he was he was a pioneer. Uh, he really was. He was he was willing to risk it all because I think he had a whole lot of confidence in himself that he could make it work. And, and he did. And he surrounded himself with some really good people. And, uh, and here we are, you know, um, gosh, how many years later, um, 1934 years later, and uh, the bank is going strong. What do you want your legacy to be when you leave the bank? You know, I think I want my legacy to be that uh, we built an incredible organization that the that the stars in this organization that they uh they feel like that they had a hand in building something really great they built their financial independence uh and for them and their families and uh, and really that i want the communities that we serve i want all those communities i want them to say you know we're glad we we have a first United bank here in town. And, uh, you know, I think if I can do that and, and I want, and obviously I want people to remember me as being someone that worked very hard and, uh, and cared about them. Um, and, uh, and, and that they know that I care about them. Uh, I think that's, you know, if you're, if you're just hard driven all the time and you don't stop and pat some backs along the way, then, then, uh, your legacy won't mean much. Um, but I, I know what my dad's legacy meant to, uh, the people that worked here at this bank while he was alive and and my mother for that matter as well. I mean, because I mean, my mother's had a really big influence on she had a big influence on my dad, but she also had a big influence on the bank, particularly in her, um, you know, in my dad's younger years when he was uh, just the president of the small community bank. I know that you get bogged down in the mundane headaches of running a successful business, but when you stop and think back, on the countless individuals and families and businesses and communities and nonprofits that this company has helped to achieve their big dreams. How does that make you feel? Wonderful. I mean, it really does. I mean, that is what we're in business to do. And um, I, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, don't you ever want to, you know, you know, quit and retire and, and go play golf and that type of thing. And, 
And, you know, this bank really is um, is really my my identity. Um, and I love doing what I'm doing and I love having the platform of the bank so that I can continue to give back to the communities and to, uh, our, our people, you know, as long as I'm around, I, I know that I can steer it in the direction that I want this company to, to, to go and that I can always be in a position so that I can help those in our communities, both customers and, you know, just Generally, like you're saying, the uh, the nonprofits and uh, and things like that, I, I know I can have a hand in helping and doing the right thing. The true spirit of West Texas lies in the hearts of its people. So that's a quote by your dad. And, um, you know, that single statement, I, I was trying to think, how could I describe what that statement is? Jared and I talk about this a lot and our team talks about it, especially when we're talking about this podcast. I really think that statement is the heart of this organization. And I, I feel like Brendan Lara feel that way too. In fact, that is the reason why we named this podcast, the spirit of West Texas podcast. So we're wanting to share the big dreams of the people who are living and working in West Texas and in these communities that we love so much. So I know what that quote means for me personally, but what did it mean for Ray and how has it shaped you? How has it shaped how you lead this business? Well, you know, when you say the spirit of West Texas lies in the hearts of its people, I mean, that that's probably my favorite uh, quote of my dad's. And it's uh, it's very true. Um, this part of the country is so very, very unique. Um, you know, I, I told somebody one time, I said, you know, you could blindfold me and put me on an airplane and put me on 10 flights. And I will tell you the one flight that's going to Lubbock, Texas. I just know it. Um Uh, or Amarillo, Texas, for that matter, Um, because just the vibe on the plane, the level of conversation, the tone, um, it's just it's just different. West Texas people are just different. They they're constantly, you know, doing the right thing by their community, by their neighbor. I've I've never lived any place you know, like that. I lived in Austin for four years. It's the only time I've been outside of West Texas. And uh, it's just different. Uh, it really is the the feeling that you get here. I've I've enjoyed so much listening uh, to some of the other podcasts that you've done, and uh, you know of of these other people in West Texas, and it's it's amazing the stories that you hear if you just sit back and listen to those people because we all have a story, but sometimes you you look at somebody and you think well, I don't know if I'll be interested in their story, and then you listen to them and you're going oh my gosh I mean this person I could learn so much from. Um, because you know, the, the common thread that you find from people in West Texas is that number one, they have a love of their community and their region of being West Texas. And number two, they just have incredible work ethic out in this part of the country. And they're, they're very resilient and, uh, and, uh, you know, they're just persistent, uh, in reaching their dreams. So this is the world's greatest place to live. I know that. And I hope y'all feel the same way, but regardless, I do. So, so today is a celebration or it should be because we're celebrating 115 years of serving these good people that we've been talking about here in West Texas and the businesses of West Texas. So when you reflect on this tremendous milestone, what are you most thankful for? You know, I think I'm, I'm just thankful, and, and I know that I sound like a broken record, but I'm, I'm thankful for this organization, uh, the people in this organization. I'm thankful that, that we all live and do business in West Texas. Uh, I'm thankful for um, 
quite frankly, I'm, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to get involved in a, in a family run business and, uh, and do what I've done for so many years. And, uh, you know, you called it a, a family owned business. It's not necessarily a family owned business. Um, the Bain family has been involved in this, in this bank since 1987, but, um, you know, because this thing is so big that we have so many other people that have come on and they're, and we consider everybody family that works here. And so I'm just so thankful for all the people that uh, have given their lives and given their careers to uh, making this a, just a really great organization. It is a good organization. It's a great organization. Mark, thank you so much for being here. I know you're so busy. So thank you for taking the time to visit with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And can I just say, um, on behalf of Jared and Scott and Brendan Lauren, everybody that's worked on this podcast, thank you for taking a risk on us and allowing us to to put this podcast together. I think it's it's been great. Well, I think it's I think it's a great thing that you're doing, and uh, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to some of the other people. I know the the slate of guests that you've got coming up, and uh, I'm really excited about to to hear some of those people. And uh, I know they'll all have great stories to tell. All right, thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. kick off season two with our very own Mark Bay. Fearless leader. He has enough stories for a hundred lifetimes. He does. Some of the stuff I just can't, I still can't believe. I can't wrap my head around some of these things that he's kind of bringing up and talking about. Yeah, he, he's had an interesting life and he's done a lot of really cool things in addition to, you know, leading our bank and um, leading his family. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, a lot of done, done a lot of really exceptional things and it, it just makes him more interesting and entertaining to listen to honestly well, entertaining to say the least yeah he's uh he's got some some fun ones uh but on top of that he's got an incredible work ethic which part of that i knew but hearing about his stories of starting a lawn business and and washing cars and and even janitorial stuff for his dad at, at, at the bank that he was at, at the time at 12 years old doing things like that uh, I knew he had a work ethic, but not to that degree. Yeah, I agree. And as an employee of the bank, from a from a leadership standpoint, to know that he's worked in pretty much every position in the bank, and you know, it wasn't just handed to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's earned he's earned this. Um, that's that's really motivating. Yeah. As an employee. Sure. Sure. Well, and he's he talked about even um, passing down that work ethic to his his sons and you mentioned them cleaning off the, the drive through lanes and stuff you can tell that he's just it's a it's a big part of who mark is and you can tell that he wants to pass that down and mm-hmm. it's a really strong character trait for him you know the the podcast the whole concept of this podcast the spirit of west texas podcast comes from that quote the true spirit of west texas yep. lies in the hearts of its people and i think we couldn't have picked a better guest to kick off season two, um, especially in honor of the bank's 115th anniversary, which we're celebrating today. That's fantastic. Um, Happy anniversary. uh, Thanks. (laughs) And, you know, um, the spirit of West Texas and and that work ethic and that deep love of the people that live and work here. I mean, that's something that Ray Bain um, exemplified and celebrated. Um, And the same can be said for Mark. Um, He loves West Texas. He loves doing business here. He loves raising his family here. Um, And a lot of the success that we've had as an organization is, is, 
you know, the result of the people and the businesses that, that have supported this bank and um, chosen to do business with us over the past 115 years. You know, you brought up the spirit of West Texas and the quote from, from Ray Bain um, ties back to the podcast and even your idea to start this thing and kind of where the inspiration drew from. Uh, that makes me so excited for our guests this season and what else we have coming up. Me too. I hope that those out there listening are inspired by what they hear. Me too. Me too. Throughout the season. So thank you so much for listening to the Spirit of West Texas podcast. Until next time.